0: Welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello. Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Please don't forget us. Don't forget to follow us on Kinotomic. At Twitter and we are also open for abuse, adulation and everything in between on email at kinatomic at gmail.com. Today we continue our Buster Birthday spe- Spectacular with the 1923 film Our Hospitality. Second f- feature film directed by John G. Uh, Blackstone and Buster Keaton. From an idea um, by Buster Keaton's collaborator Gene Havis, who had this idea to rework the Hatfield-McCoy feud and throw in a Romeo and Juliet kind of romance story in in the mix. Before I ask my friend Nick what he thought of the film, here's a very quick synopsis. A man returns home to the Old South and gets caught between feuding families. So. Nick what did you think of the uh, our hospitality
1: um so last week you said that um you said that you thought I might enjoy this film more than I kind of enjoyed Steamboat bill um and you're actually correct in that um i no, I'm not saying steamboat I'm not again, I'm not saying Steamboat Bill was bad anyway. I just enjoyed this film more um there was a lot more of a coherent plot um yeah and there was i little,
0: I figured you might like that
1: yeah. <laughs> It was a legitimate kind of a to b in terms of story, um which kind of it just kind of allowed the film to flow really really nicely um the opening like five or however long that was like four minutes or something, like that was a lot more dramatic than I was expecting, like from a start of a busting. I'm glad you
0: noticed that, yeah, um
1: it was like it was like, well, wow, this is actually quite serious and 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 um yeah, like like I said dramatic it was. And the, the the music that kind of accompanied by it um, was really really quite powerful. I don't know. Um, I don't know the name of the person who did the accompaniment for this version that we watched.
0: I think if it's the one that I've uh, shared with you, it's the Kino International, and I think it's the Carl Davis's um, musical accompaniment.
1: Yeah. So that that one was yeah that accompaniment was really 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 good. Um, yes yes really really good i think
0: uh i think there's there's something to be said about carl davis because he he also did the, the the music for the general and it's just brilliant it, i think he understands buster keaton very very well just like you know a very good collaboration like you know yeah spielberg and john williams something like yeah. that
1: um yeah no i mean in terms of like the the, the general the general plot kind of thing like it kind of set up the the feud really quite well, and then we kind of get the the introduction of Buster when he's older with his mum, and then they get the letter, and and then his auntie. Yeah, it was, it was his auntie. Was it not his mum?
0: Well, his mum. No, he was his auntie. I think
1: was it his auntie? Um, and then we get this uh, amazing, magnificent train ride. Um, which I honestly I could not take my eyes off it. It was amazing. Like I know it. Kind of, it felt it felt like kind of like a dress rehearsal for the general. I know, um, right? So, but the whole section was really really wonderful. The all the little I just I just loved it that the way they they they're traveling through the states and obviously this was set in like 1820. So the train <laughs> had literally hadn't arrived. So you see all these people. Go to the track to see the train arrive, and then you have got the person who's throwing stuff at it, and then you've got the fact that they just build the track over logs that had fallen, and then there's a donkey that's not moving, so they just move the track to go around the donkey. Isn't it like, brilliant? It's it was it was really it was really something, and I really really enjoyed it. Um, that whole section, and it didn't rely on it didn't rely on Buster Keaton as as an actor, it relied on him as a director and as somebody who's setting up gags kind of thing. Which I thought was a really interesting side to him to see. Like, you know, you see yeah, somebody a bit more yeah. seeing a bit more of the behind the scenes kind of Buster Keaton yeah, rather than
0: yeah.
1: you know, the on screen uh persona. Um yeah, and, and this let's <laughs> see the the, the they get to the tunnel and <laughs> the tunnel is shaped like the 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 shape of the train <laughs> which i i just loved it i i it was it was so it was so little it was so so quaint and it was just so it was such a knowing nod at humor and a well. knowing nod about how um strange it must have been to have seen a train going through through america at that time um and then yeah we kind of get to the get to the his home home where he's where he was born his birthplace um and uh, you know it kind of sets up the feud really quite funny really nicely with the guy who's like keeps going into the stores and asking if people's got a gun um and <laughs> and then it kind of goes into the chasing of buster um which was With him, the ways of him missing all these bullets and kind of avoiding detection, the best one was because it came completely out of the blue almost was uh, because there was a good time period and it was almost felt like it was a side plot of him going fishing. And then obviously, like the water, and obviously the water comes over, and it starts to be the waterfall, and it's a it's a gagging of itself that the fact that the waterfall's falling, and his umbrella isn't doing anything about it, and then all of a sudden, like the like the guy just walks past, looking for Buster, and can't see him anywhere, and I just burst out <laughs> laughing because it was just brilliant. Um, I know. And the great thing about that that waterfall thing was that I didn't realise at the time that it was a kind of an introduction to a place where we're going to get a set piece later on, um, which yeah. I thought was really quite clever.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then we kind of, you know, we head to the house and then we get the, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio mean moment with the our hospitality. I actually <laughs> did that. I actually sat there and did the point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, It and then that whole kind of section in the house was really quite, quite cool. It was, it was really funny and really, really engaging. And then, you know, we had the final set piece with the river which was really pretty amazing, and then the kind of, that swing across the waterfall was I was really something else third um, take how, sorry
0: third take
1: the third take
0: Yeah. took okay. three takes to do that
1: well it was yeah it was really something that was um i as a, as a film in, t- in general like, as a film, it didn't feel. As complete as the general, I think the general is his masterpiece.
0: It is. Let's just let's just get it out of the way and not right. compare it. And like, let's just say that the general is the masterpiece. It is. It and is. It, it is, is a is, masterpiece. It is. Um, but like, and not. I mean, this is nineteen. It, this is like three years before the general. And this is his second feature, so you have to bear that in mind as well. He's says, No, yeah, I know, just, I know, yeah, I know.
1: Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just, you know, I kind of keep going back to that because, like, I, you know, I,
0: it's <sighs> the first film you've watched. It's the
1: first first one I watched, Yeah, yeah, um, it, it, yeah. It's, I so, get yeah, it. it. I do it, get it. Yeah, it don't. It doesn't have. You know, obviously, it doesn't have like the surreal moments like in Sherlock Junior. But I really enjoyed this film's simplicity. Um, and like Steamboat Bill, one of my things about Steamboat Bill was like, kind of looking back, it, it did almost, was almost trying to be too overwhelming with what was going on, um, which is kind of weird to say about a film from the 1920s, um, but, and, but for, 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 for our hospitality, like, I really did kind of appreciate the simplicity of it, yeah.
0: um,
1: and yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, re- it was a good, it was a really, yeah, bravo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you enjoyed it? I did, yes. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm really glad. I was, I, I, re- as I was rewatching it, I was kind of chuckling to myself because I knew the gags and I knew they were they were coming, and I kind of like, I was thinking like, oh yeah, Nick might like that. Nick will definitely find that funny. Uh, and like you know the gag with with the fishing and then the waterfall and then like the whole river um action sequence because it it, it is more of an action sequence isn't it yeah rather than a comedic scene you you're gonna get like oh my god what is going to happen now because are they gonna die you know they're not gonna die but you kind of feel like you know a bit like there's a bit of a danger happening in the situation. There was there was
1: there was definite peril going on, and because it was Buster Keaton, you didn't actually. I couldn't really differentiate whether it was on screen peril or whether it was off screen peril. <laughs> um, which I think. I think, in, was I a, think a at one point there it. was a
0: bit of both. Uh, I mentioned last week that we had he had rule, he had the rule that nothing, no matter what, the the crew would have to keep on filming. And in this film, there was, there was a point, I will talk about it later, where they were actually filming when he was just, he, he could have, he could have died. Um, but yeah, it could have been, yeah, peril from all sides. So, Ter- yeah.
1: Terrible peril. <laughs> to quote, um, oh, what's, uh, it was Tim, wasn't it? Is it Tim? I can't remember. Terrible peril. is a quote from Monty Python's Holy Grail. For the life of me, oh, I can't no, place it, who it said the, it.
0: It was the it was the innocent knight. He wanted to have a bit of peril. Oh, that it was, was it. A it was bit Michael Palin. Like, can I have? Can I? Can I just have? Bet you're gay.
1: <laughs> Castle Anthrax. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. I love. Can I please have some a bit of peril? <laughs>
1: <laughs> bet you're gay. Sure <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: not. <laughs> 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 Great film.
1: Great film. Anyway, right, we, we, we just wanted to Holy Grail there, guys. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so for, the any next, more... for the next
1: two hours, we're just going to be quoting Holy Grail lines for <laughs> <all> you.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm. Buster Keaton and Holy Grail, good yeah. one. Yeah. Um. So any more notes on uh, our hospitality?
1: Unless I can think of anything when you're talking, no.
0: Okay. Cool. So, just a few things about the production and the cost. So, this is a family affair from start to finish. It has three generations of Keatons in the same film.
1: I did, I did know that. Uh, you did. Actually. I did. Yes.
0: Okay. So, would you like to fill us in?
1: So, it was the train. It was one of the train guys. Was his dad
0: yeah the the, the engineer
1: the engineer and then obviously Buster himself and then his son was played the kid version of mckay in the start of the film
0: in the pro, uh, in the pro, the prologue
1: yeah in the prologue yeah
0: very well done um did you notice the um high kick that his father performed at one point in the film
1: i did and i thought it was a bit odd
0: Well, that was a a trademark of his during his vaudeville years where he just does the high kick um, and he just sort of knocks over people's um, hats. He just, yeah, he just does the high kick. He doesn't hurt people, but he just knocks over the hats. Mm, So, yeah, it was was a, a Joe Keaton special. So um do, yeah, just speaking of Buster Keaton's sons, there was a, a tiny, a small note on, 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 on that the issue of of his sons is kind of a sore subject among among Buster Keaton's fans because not only did his wife, who is in the film, Natalie Talmadge, um not only did she refuse to name the firstborn Joseph, which was tradition. Buster Keaton being the sixth Joseph Keaton of the family. Um the after they got divorced in nineteen thirty two, she took the boys away and she changed the last name from Keaton to Talmadge. So it was a it was quite a source um subject for him because one, he he'd always lived in Chaplin Shadow at the box office so he was always kind of behind Chaplin um, in terms of like slapstick um, and his wife was coming from a prominent showbiz family because both of her sisters were very very big at the box office as well so Norman Talmage and Constance were were big big movie stars as well in their right so the name Change was considered for the benefit of the boys because no one at the time thought that the Keaton name would be bigger than the Talmage name. So yeah, um, and well, when the boys became adults, they changed the name back. Oh, good. yeah, and they kind of went back to see their father because he the, he was cut off from them for a long time after the divorce when the boys were quite young. So yeah, a uh, quick note on the wife, Natalie Talmadge. This was kind of her first first and only feature film that she starred in. Uh, I don't know what you thought of her performance, but I thought she was kind of wooden.
1: It was. It was. Eh, it was okay compared to, compared to last week's um, romantic uh, interest in Steamboat. This was. This was definitely a step down.
0: Yeah, so it kind of feels weird, though, right? Because she's like the wife in real life, so you kind of feel like there should be more chemistry yeah, between but that's them.
1: Not, that's not necessarily the case with on-screen, no, on-screen, couples. especially when
0: the wife doesn't really know how to act really well.
1: Is this is this the is this the kind of the clause coming out here? Because this is the this is the <laughs> wife that you don't like. That, uh... I mean
0: I it it would be very very hard to find good things about to say about the wife. Very okay. very hard. Um I've done quite a bit of research on the wife and it's quite hard to find good stuff about her. Especially since she just took him to the cleaners after the divorce and just like, you know, just reduced him to nothing. Um I actually found because I I read quite a few biographies of Buster Keaton and i found a really really weird quote from someone it's it's not a hundred percent um verified but someone said that her own mother who was like the matron of the family and she would always like she was like the manager of the talmud sisters um norma and constance being such big stars peggy the, the mother would always take care of everything and Um, Norma was married to Joseph Skank, who was a big producer and who was like, you know, looked after Buster Keaton's, um, career until he didn't, until he sold it to MGM. And we know where that happened, where that led to. Um, but yeah, so Peggy, um, the matron was rumored to have said once of Natalie, the middle sister, that she was so silly, you could hear her brains rattle right so yeah that's kind of the, the so basically natalie was the only one who was not a big star she was a secretary for the Comique uh studios and that's how buster meet met her and he kind of fell in love and he yeah he married her in 1922 and they had a kid, and they had another kid, and after the second kid, by the way, Natalie was pregnant the sec- with the second kid during the filming of, the, um, of of our hospitality. So some of the scenes she had to be filmed from like behind a fence or behind a shrubbery or something because she was starting to show. Okay. Um, I don't think she was particularly talented or particularly beautiful, but Busty Keaton really loved her, and I've, I've I've read his autobiography, and he really. He said at some point that the only thing that could have bro- broken them two up was her. So it was it was, she. He was very like all in, and she was very very much not. And she kind of let the family take over. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, that's kind of enough about Natalie Talmadge
1: i mean for 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 three episodes on buster keaton i think you know we should at least touch on it but not i don't overwhelm yeah she kind of ruined on the wife you know yeah
0: she kind of ruined him after the divorce and he was in a very very bad place he was she was kind of important to his career because she was the sister of norma and norma was married to joseph skank and joseph skank was the producer and they kind of he was like brother-in-law with a producer and he kind of influenced his career further on in the late 20s including the sellout to tmgm so yeah. I, th- I thought it would be an, uh, kind of important to mention and i think I, it's, think I think
1: yeah sorry i, I just yeah. want to say i think it was quite i think it's quite interesting that over our episodes of the buster keaton episodes like you know, we we had you know we had Sherlock Junior, and then we've had uh, you know Steamboat Bill. But then with this one, we we end up talking about his uh, his wife, his first wife. And then I know in next week's episode, you know, we're going to be talking about something else that's like really quite you know shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. like, I think it's really interesting to look at. But it's I think it's really interesting to look at Buster's career like this. Um, yeah. As kind of like almost. You know the, these these points are almost like, you know he did do great work, but and there's always that but in his in his you know and, and there's you know the, the the other side to it, and um, you know he he did he didn't. I think there's a reason why you know you always ask you you ask any person on the street you know who's the first silent if you if you ask it, who's your who's the first silent comedian that you can name, and they will they will go to Charlie Chaplin straight away. Of
0: course. Yeah, and um, I think, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not contesting that at all. I think Charlie Chaplin was a genius. He was brilliant, uh, and the thing that made him more important, poignant, and uh, you know, allowed him to be the trademark that he is, was the fact that he never signed up with a big studio. He left. He was independent he le- he had an independent production company the whole time he was he was able to make a silent picture in 1931 yeah city lights was made in 1931 and yeah. it was like 4 years after after the jazz singer yes yeah, and he skin. was like and even like the modern times was like 1936 and that was mostly ni- mostly silent and he did the, the great dictator which was not silent in 1940 so he was able to make like three films in the 1930s and 40s five years apart and not worry about money whereas buster couldn't do that he couldn't he had to work he buster Keaton also had a family to look after he has it, he had his father his mother his two siblings he had a, a brother Jingles and um sister whose name escapes me now. Um and I forgot to mention in our previous episode that his sister uh actually did a stunt for um Mary is it Marion Byron for the in the Steamboat Bill Junior episode? I think so, so yeah. Yeah, so she, the sister, um, performed the stunts for the for, because Marion barn couldn't couldn't swim. Huh. Yeah, and they were kind of the same sort of size and frame, so they yeah, so the sister performed the, the stunts. So Buster had a very tight knit family, and he knew he had to look after them, so he had responsibility because he was the breadwinner. So he always knew that he would have to earn money. So when he lost everything after the, the divorce from Natalie Talmadge, he he was in... yeah. So he was unemployable for a while, but then he came back to MGM and he worked... So basically, his salary was about $2,000, $3,000 uh, uh, a week when he was on, on his own with Joseph Skank in the 1920s. But after he became... More or less destitute, he came back to MGM and worked as a gag writer for two hundred dollars a week. Um, mm. in in the in the forties and thirties, and someone asked him, "How does it feel to be down from like three thousand a week to two hundred a week?" And he just shrugged his shoulders and said, "Well, if I'm worth more, they'll pay me more." So he was, gag- he was writing gags for the Marx Brothers and Red Skelton in the 1930s and 40s because he had a family to support. Uh, so he was always like, you know, he took it all in his stride and divorced and everything. So he kind of like, you know, just settled in his routine to, like if, to work come what may. Yeah, so that's kind of like the difference between Buster and, and Charlie Chaplin.
1: No, no, that's yeah, that's really uh, honestly for someone like me, is not a, at all well versed in this uh, period of, of cinema history. Then uh, you know, it's really kind of really helpful for me. And I'm sure it is helpful for some of our listeners as well. So, um,
0: sorry, that yeah. fell off quite a long parenthesis there.
1: No, that's all right. It's fine. It's fine.
0: Um. Um. Yeah. Sorry, did you have another question? About I was just the film? gonna say
1: are, are we are we kind of are we I was just gonna ask are we almost wrapping up with our hospitality or are you...? Um, I
0: had a few other, I had a couple of other things about the film production. Okay. I just wanted to mention Joe Roberts because I think he deserves a mention and he this was the last film that Joe Roberts was in. He's the big guy playing the, the father of of the of the girl. Um and he had a stroke during production, and he insisted on coming back to work and finish the film. And he died shortly after. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So Joe Roberts, if you watch the Buster Keaton short films, he was always in them. He was often cast as the antagonist because he was so big. And he, I found out that I found out recently that he was he was the actor cast cast in most. Buster Keaton films, except for Buster Keaton himself. So he was the most often p- person you'd see in a Buster Keaton film. He would always be the father of the of the, of the girl Buster Keaton was after, or the antagonist. that he would have to um, fight. I knew um, I
1: recognized him because he played the guy, the main guy, the owner in the playhouse.
0: Yes, he was in the playhouse. He was in most of Buster Keaton short films. He was also in the 3 um ages at one point uh 3 Ages being the first feature film that Keaton, uh directed. Um so yeah and he died in in uh, 1923. Um so I thought I, I, he deserves a mention. I thought he was just brilliant as the very southern mint lip drinking um, um patron. Yes, of, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the uh, steam engine that you um, used in the film was a very faithful, mechanically accurate recreation of the Stevenson rocket. And it was chosen by Buster Keaton because it looked funny and it was so, and equally accurate was the replica of the bicycle that you see uh, Buster riding near the start of the film. And it was called the Dandy Horse. And both uh, were so accurate that uh, it, they were requested by the Smithsonian Sp- Institute for display. So you can find them at the museum.
1: So, one of um, kind of leaning on, like, leaning on from that, like, hit the train thing. So, I was on YouTube a while ago and I popped on my recommended, was a Buster Keaton short from 1965 called The Rail Rodder.
0: The railroad, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and I remember watching that, and it was apparently <laughs> it was a um, advertisement for the Canadian Tourist Board, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he, and he did it because you know he's such a he's you know he loved his trains. He did and, love his trains, and I, 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 it was it was a really it was kind of looking back on it because I saw that before I'd seen um, this, and I can <laughs> kind of, I can see parallels and it yeah like for example in how hospitality you have the, the 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 driver and he's cooking his lunch with in with the, the oven kind of thing yeah and i in the railroad that there's a similar sequence where yeah. Buster kitten's trying to make tea um out of this <laughs> out of this incredible is almost tardis like container that he had on his on his little <laughs> carriage on his little thing um so yeah, no, I, the the it just reminded me of the Railroader, which I mean, if
0: you watch the Railroader, you should also watch the documentary behind it because there's there was a filming crew that was with the crew, filming, so you watch them filming, and yeah. there's there's a few arguments behind the scenes where Buster argues with the director of the Railroader because they were like oh, you have to do this, and then Buster's like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this my way, and there's some things that, like, like, the director's like, you, know, you can't do that because that's too dangerous, and he and he goes back to his, his um, like, tra- uh, trailer, and he's like, I could do that in my sleep, that's not dangerous, that's nothing. <laughs> and the wife, like, the, the third wife, like, uh, Eleanor, who's a darling, he's like, maybe you should think about it because, you know, it's not... It is dangerous. It's like, oh, is that dangerous? And it's just, it's just adorable. It's, okay. Like the documentary behind the Railroad is like one of the best things I've ever watched about Buster Keaton because mm-hmm. you kind of see him being old, but being grumpy, but being funny at the same time.
1: Okay, I'll definitely <laughs> check that out.
0: Definitely check it out. I'll, I'll send. I'll, I'll probably put a link in in the show notes if I can we'll, find it. Yeah,
1: we we will link. We will link to the show notes. We'll link the the Rail Rodder and the uh, behind the scenes film as well for you. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah. I'm just really happy that we got to talk about the our hospitality because I think you've you've hit it. And when you said it was like a a, a dress rehearsal for the general, and I know we couldn't have the general on the on the podcast because you had watched it before. Um, but it's kind of a precursor, so you kind of see what how Buster thought of things and how he planned the gangs, yeah. and you can see his technical brain behind it. Um, I remember reading about he how he said that he, no one asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, so he kind of fell into the vaudeville job business scene. Um, he didn't actually go to school, but he would have loved to be an engineer and you kind of see it in here how he plans how he thinks of of the gags and how he sort of like builds the elaborate gags and i think it's it's more that you could see that this is not just a sketch like film where you have like sketch after sketch after sketch um it's just building up to the bigger gags and um, I remember reading that he wanted to. He wanted this to happen because he understood that the laughs had to be bigger than the two real, like the short films, the two real films that he'd been doing up until then. So he went to elaborate things. So he showed like, okay, let's just build it a bit bigger. That's why you have like I don't know, fifteen minutes in the first scene in the first in in our hospitality. We you don't really have anything to laugh about. You have five minutes of prologue, which is quite dramatic, but then it kind of builds up to something quite big. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And uh, I think this is the earliest comedy that was included in the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, edited by Steven Shry- Schneider. I have a so- copy
1: of that book somewhere. I th- yeah I think so it's I like, think
0: it's the earliest comedy included in that in that book
1: I think I own like the 2009 version because I remember Avatar being on the cover
0: yeah so it's kind of like it makes you think about it being the first comedy which with such elaborate narrative that deserves to be included and deserves to be talked about yeah so yeah um yeah I kind of Kind of thing that's kind of what all all what I had in mind about our our hospitality, and I'm really really glad that you, you you enjoyed it because it's I thought it was just lovely in its simplicity, but it also shows quite a lot of potential to what's about to come around the corner, which is the general.
1: Yes, yes, no, I I, def- I definitely agree with that um so that that's that's kind of us done with our hospitality um kind of sorry guys we have to move on kind of thing but we're moving on <laughs> we are moving on to something um i think i definitely think is as good as our hospitality and i hope danny does as well so wow. we, are mov- we are moving on to uh 1985's uh police story directed by <laughs> jackie chan starring jackie chan jackie chan Bridget Lin and Maggie Chung, a very, very, very young Maggie Chung.
0: <laughs> as, Embryo Maggie Chung.
1: As that text, yeah, as I got a text message from uh, from Danny saying Embryo Maggie Chung because it was insane how baby-faced she was.
0: <laughs> she was so, she was like 12.
1: <laughs> oh, she wasn't that late, right, yeah.
0: Anyway, <laughs> no, <but> this, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so I got a bit of a, uh, a little brief synopsis Um, a virtuous Hong Kong police officer must clear his name after he is framed for murder Um, sounds like a pretty serious uh, plot synopsis but we'll get into the actual film (laughs) I'd imagine so Danny, what did you think of Police Story
0: oh I don't know it was just as soon as Jackie Chan's face came on screen it just filled me with warmth he's just such a lovable character that to see him on screen just gives me a warm feeling. I just know, I know that all hell will break loose in a minute, but that I will enjoy every minute of it because I know he he will make it all all right. Jackie Chan never plays villains, and with that face, I don't think he could ever play villains. He has a friendly and kind face, and you know that everything's going to be okay, and you're going to have an incredible ride um, when when you watch him Um, the film feels slightly dated visually I mean there's a lot of blusher on the girls and there's a lot of big hair and puffy jumpsuits and that sort of thing it's the 80s so just roll with it but it was great fun I really liked it I really had a really good fun watching it um, it's I I do think it's a worthy. I th- I do think that Jackie Chan is a worthy successor of 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 Keir, of of Buster Keaton, and uh, the energy is incredible. The editing is incredible. The 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 rhythm is incredible. I think they have really really great. I'm not a person like I've known. I probably mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm not a great fan of of fight scenes okay yeah it they they bore me i get like distracted i'm like okay okay there's punching and there's things and but this is just it's it's more of a dance there's a choreography it's incredible it's it it's so much fun it was funny and it was silly but not tiresome it was not overdone jackie makes it all look spectacular effortless but you i mean in the back of your mind, you look at it and you're like, this is, looks so effortless, but you know how much effort has been put into it, and you're like, whoa, you're just, just mind-blowing. Um, I know he hurt himself several times on the set of this film, um, but I did not expect anything less from, from the perfectionist that he is, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, uh, Brigitte Lynn was very good. <laughs> I think she can definitely hold hold her own with Jackie, and I think she did most of her stunts, if I'm correct. And I don't know how many women can can say that in in a Jackie Chan film. And I think her comedic timing was really good. I really enjoyed uh, her seeing her, and Maggie Chong was just adorable. You can you just couldn't help but stare at her pretty baby face yeah. <laughs> it just made me it just kind of made me go back in time a bit it reminded me of my childhood like you know the 80s <laughs> so yeah thank you for making me watch it I, I missed this gem and it was, it was brilliant it made me it was such a feel good film it was brilliant um, and now I'm just thinking of that scene from the film where he has to stop the bus load of criminals and they're all like jumping through the the glass, through, yeah. <laughs> through the window and he's just holding the gun. That's just a brilliant screen a brilliant brilliant scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I really enjoyed it.
1: I mean yeah the the, the stunts are are incredible. Um the obviously, you know, the the final the final jump um down the pole in the shopping mall was yes. you know, I mean I have a quote here from, from Matt Zoller Sites um kind of about kind of about this film and kind of about that last stunt. So he says The entire film has the mentality of a master showman who wants to dazzle in every moment Big or small. A stunt near the end gets repeated at full length three times from three different angles. This would seem like a display of narcissism if it weren't one of the greatest stunts in the history of movies. Right up there with the collapsing house in Steamboat Bill Junior and the final Ooh. fall and the final fall in Sharkey's machine. So I've not I've not seen Sharkey's machine, but yeah, it, yeah I'm collapsing not house. it I must
0: put it down. I'm watch it
1: um that's burt reynolds i think if i remember rightly. but um yeah no uh that yeah like i said that, that that thing is shown three times because it is so impressive and so amazing it and is. the fact that the the final time they show it you see him fall into the glass on the floor and then you see him get up and run away and you think how has he done that There's the amount know. of times where he's, he's he's got crashed into glass or crashed into something and just gets up and carries on, um, wow. is is incredible. The the final after the film's finished, you know, you have the credit sequence and you kind of see all this behind the scenes stuff of him then rehearsing the stunts, and it's you know, and then like the things where things kind of go wrong. So like at the opening where the car flips over and it's not meant to, you know, everybody rushes to the car, um, you know, them yeah. seeing them practicing the stunts, kind of thing, practicing the kicks and all this. And it, it's just its just incredible, like, the amount of rehearsal and the amount of practice that goes into it. It's not something that can be done overnight. And I think what makes this film special is that, for me, in the, in the 1980s, you have, you know, in America, you've got Arnie, you've got Stallone, you've got, you know, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, you know, all these are, are massive 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 men basically we're, we're talking like you know muscles just bulging they're huge yeah even, they even are huge yeah i mean we we had not gotten to the bruce willis die hard point at this time you know yeah. in
0: 1985 when was steven cigar though because i, I grew up 80, watching
1: 80s as well i think eight no yeah. 90, uh, like late 80s early 90s i think steve cigar was like 90s because Under Siege okay. was, like, 93, 94, if I remember rightly. I
0: love that film.
1: Uh, it's not great. Um, <laughs> anyway.
0: I, I, I didn't say it was great.
1: Um, anyway, so... With with what makes this film really special, I think, is that you have Jackie Chan basically being... is a different kind of fighter, you know. In 85... I think 85... Um, I think Commando came out in 85. I can't remember. There's an Arnie that film that came film. out. Um, no, oh, oh, sorry, I'm oh, not Commando. Yeah, so both Commando and Rocky IV came out in um, 85. So did Rambo, uh, First Blood Part Two. So you've you've got these kind of films which... You know, a, a just like like Commando in particular is just like a man on a mission. Like he's yeah. indestructible. You know, he fucking <laughs> walks up to that that compound in wherever it is, and it's just a one man army. You know, but in this in Jackie Chan, you know, he's always on the defensive. You know, you always see him, he's always blocking shots. You know, he's yeah. always like you see him, and he's always at a disadvantage. You know, he's not somebody who is like towering above his opponents. You know. He is always somebody though he's he's smaller in stature you know he's like always blocking but he's always he's always getting hurt as well um he's never afraid to kind of show himself being vulnerable um and I think it's such a, a such a testament to him as a performer and as an actor and as an action star and think about i think I mentioned it a few episodes ago quite a few episodes ago, but there was a story that came out um after the release of uh, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw that um the Rock and Jason Statham both had uh in their contracts uh details about how many times they could get punched or um which is insane. Um really they, yeah they, they, there's a thing I think it was Hobbs and Shaw. It might have been Hobbs and Shaw it might have been um fast uh Fate of the Furious With Vin Diesel, it might have been the latter, but there was a thing that came out that said that, you know, these, like, I think it was Vin Diesel and and The Rock actually, about they had a a, a, basically a thing in their contracts about that they couldn't get punched so many times. Like, you know, they always had to be like on top as seen as like the the aggressor and like, you know, the kind of almost like the Arnie kind of superhero ness to them. Um, which is incredible. Um,
0: Too much disaster. To t- yes, I know.
1: But even even Arnie, and you know, you watch a film like Predator. You know, even Arnie is not afraid to kind of put himself in a position where he's seen as weak. You know, yeah. you think about you know Predator. You know, obviously, yeah, it took. I a think fucking, Arnie
0: has a, has a sense of humor that has. He
1: did as well. He, he, he does. He, he
0: needs to be more. You know, tapped into. It's just he. I mean, he did a lot of comedies where he just played. And, Made fun of himself, which yeah. many many action heroes can't really pull out. Pull off.
1: No, I think there was like a there's like a Vin Diesel comedy from the mid two thousands called The Tooth Fairy, which is terrible. Um, I think yeah. I don't think Vin Diesel does it very well. The Rock has kind of got this kind of self awareness to him, but I think it's because of his background as a WWE star. Um, yeah, you know we all grew up watching The Rock as a wrestler not as an action hero, which is a really mm. weird thing for, for a lot of people. Um, but like I said, going back to Jackie Chan, like you think of Kung Fu action heroes, you think of Bruce Lee and uh, his his stance is like, he's aggressive. He is like, come at me, I will take you down. Whereas Jackie Chan is, you know, come at, okay, you can, okay, you're coming at me. Oh shit. You know, and is <laughs> and reacting, reacting. He doesn't, he's been put in this situation but he's reacting to it, and then he yeah. comes out on top because yeah. he is so good at what he does. And another thing, great thing about him is he uses props unlike any other. I know action star that you'll ever see.
0: I think he's a precursor to to John Wick, because you can see him. He does like books and shelves and doors and things, and you kind of see that in John Wick. It's like pens and books and everything on hand.
1: I don't, done, I don't. Done again. I, I think it's. I think this general because um, Chad uh, Chad Stalatsky, who was the uh, director, I think for John Wick. Um, he um, was you know a martial arts. He's a martial arts guy. You know he he was um, he was Keanu Reeves' uh, stunt double for The Matrix. Yes, yes um, he like was that. also in uh, Bloodsport. I think it was Bloodsport two. I think in the early nineties.
0: Jean-Claude Van Damme thing?
1: Yeah. He was also... um, He worked with Brandon Lee um, in Showdown in Loto Tokyo, I think. Um, He was, like, really good. No, he didn't know it wasn't that. So, Chad Stoletsky was Brandon Lee's replacement after Brandon Lee was killed in The Crow which okay. we'll hope one day we'll talk about The Crow because I don't think you, you, you haven't seen I've it. I've not
0: seen The Crow, no. Yeah,
1: so, but Chas Saletsky was a martial arts guy and um, he, I, re- I recently watched an interview with him where he was talking about his kind of influences leading up, you know, from, from the early 90s through to the present day. And you can kind of see him, you know, wanting to utilise what made stars like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee so iconic in the Asian market. And kind of bringing that to, you know, American audiences, to, to Western audiences. And I think what is also really interesting is you watch action sequences with a Jackie Chan movie. Everything is shown in wide. Oh, oh, correction. Yes. You see, a, you see a Jackie Chan movie from Hong Kong. Everything is shown in wide. You know, you yes. see, you see every punch. You see every movement. But you watch action Shinkins. It's, it's gotten a little bit better the last few years. I think especially with the John Wick movies kind of showing that you can actually do this. Uh, you had Gareth Evans with his Raid movies showing you can actually do proper action. And I think that directors now are kind of switching on a little bit. But it used to be like you can't see a punch or you can't see the movement. You can't feel the hit, whereas in this, in Police Story, you feel every single hit. I did.
0: I did. I was, like, sweating. I knew it was going to be okay, but I was like, okay, oh, that just felt too real and too, you know. It was wide shots, but you could feel You could hear it. You could feel it. Yeah,
1: and it's and also, it's not just him. It's also, like, the guys he's fighting against. Like, you have the guy who's, <laughs> who gets kicked down the escalator... Um, oh yeah that it just looks so painful. painful it does you, look you've got really the guy painful. who like who gets kicked and he does this amazing oh. spin into the glass and it's like that's insane and it does it does look really really painful and um, you see
0: that you see the outtakes at the end and you kind of see how how much of a perfectionist he is
1: yeah yeah i mean there's a really great um i will He's, link to it in the show notes um in uh in uh, the great YouTube series Every Frame of Painting, which which you know they you know they, they stopped making the videos, um, but he did a Jackie Chan one, and in that Jackie Chan video he talks about how um there's a little interview snippet and it goes back to an old Jackie Chan film of him with a fan spinning a fan and trying to catch it, and that apparently was done over a hundred times um before he got it right, and he said you you know, it, it, it's it's all about practice. Anybody can do it, but you just got to keep going and keep practising. Yeah. And I think that's just a testament to his thing. You see in the outtakes, in the in the end, in the credits, with the kick, with the, the little pencil, with him trying to catch it when he's on the yes.
0: phones. Yes. Oh, my God. That was a brilliant scene, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um, and obviously, oh, so, it's so comedic as well, with the phones, and then he's got his noodles, and then he eats the noodles with a pencil. Yeah. It? it was... Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, that was brilliant. It kind of made me think of the scene, the the billiard scene from Sherlock Jr. Um, the billiard scene from, uh, if you remember, where there's a bomb in, in one of the um, balls.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I think I remember now.
0: And he has to, and uh, all the other guys, they know, and he doesn't know, and he has, to, he, he's just playing, and everyone is just running around, frightened, whenever he shoots the pool and it took a while, about a week to 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 shoot, to film that scene because he wanted to get it all right like hit all the all the balls in the right corners and that sort of thing so it uh it just yeah it made me think of that because he's like such a perfectionist and he wanted to get it all right
1: yeah yeah i mean yeah and that's it's... how you
0: get in in a studio system that's how you get over budget and that's how you get taxed and that, that's how you end up losing uh and yeah, I think I remember watching the scene from with, with Jackie Chan and saying that in Hong Kong you, you you get the time and no one cares, no one looks over your shoulder. In Hollywood it doesn't feel like that, does it?
1: No, it it it's it's insane you think of his work in, in like the Rush Shower films, for example, and it you always wonder why you know, we were talking about we talked about Big Trouble in Little China and I said that the original cat, uh, the original choice to play wang was jackie chan but because he had a bad experience at hollywood at the time he didn't want to work on the film so he went back to hollywood yeah. and then obviously you know 1985 you know we got you know police story um so it, it which is great which is great yeah i mean thank god that they fucked up this <laughs> hollywood career at that time but then he came back in the late 90s with the rush hour films and then he was in you know shang is it shanghai noon with Owen wilson um
0: i think i've I've refused to watch that couple of
1: other films um and then he had his own little animated tv series jackie chan adventures which i watched all the time as a kid because (laughs) that that series was amazing um honestly check out the intro If, if anybody's got youtube ready check out the intro uh the theme song for jackie chan adventures it's pretty incredible um so yeah I I just wanna go into a little bit more about the film, just a tiny bit more. Um the opening in the Shanty Town with the cars crashing through and the explosions, uh Michael Bay ripped it off for Bad Boys Two. Um
0: ah, So you
1: if you, you recognise that sequence, I don't if you seen you've seen Bad I Boys would- Two.
0: I've seen Bad Boys 2 but I blocked it out because it's Michael Bay <laughs> and I don't really like Michael Bay. I was kind of I was kind of counting till you would mention Michael Bay.
1: Well, it's taken 26 episodes and I've mentioned Michael Bay. I think this is like the second or third time. Anyway, so yeah, Michael Bay ripped it off of Bad Boys <laughs> 2. Um I've kind of got down like you you really get a look into uh, Jackie Chan's expressions on his face. Um is I think he's he's the most Keaton-like actor, I think. In terms of is, yeah, how, he is. And I think he's, much... co- he's
0: quoted him as an inspiration many times over in yeah. his interviews.
1: Um, you know, we've got young Maggie Chung in a, this a fourth role. Uh, Bridget Lin as uh, Celine was excellent. I think uh, people, you know, recognise Bridget Lin I think mainly from Chunking Express. I think it's where people probably most recognise her from. Um, she actually retired from acting in 1994, uh, much like Maggie Chung, who retired from acting in the early 2000s. Um, so that kind of leads, that's kind of it really on the film, but we want to kind of talk about, um, injuries because I think Ooh, one of the great ouch. things about talking about Buster Keaton and Jackie Chan together is that they both put their lives on the line. Yeah. Uh, they put their both, they their do. bodies, their bodies took a beating. So, um, I've got a couple of injuries here. I've got one injury in particular that I want to talk about from Police Story, and then I'm going to list through a few others, and then Danny's going to interject with some Buster Keaton ones, and then I kind of would be interested to get an opinion from you listeners as to who uh, who, who who shouldn't be around <laughs> like who should have died a lot sooner than they did that they did or um, you know haven't just yet. So basically, who had it worse? I think is kind of the question. Um, Hmm. so with a police story, that final pole, um, slide down, um, that, so basically what happened was there were lights covering the pole and they heated up the metal pole, like a lot, we're talking a lot, so much so that when Jackie Chan slid down, he got second degree burns on his hands and other parts of his body. Um Ouch. As well as a back injury and a dislocation of his pelvis upon landing um that dislocation of his pelvis um you know kind of almost yeah was almost caused uh partial paralysis um Ouch. and you know he got spinal damage from it, oh. so that's yeah. That's one of his injuries to police story. Um, I kinda of got a couple of others. So in Drunken Master, which is an amazing film, he I damaged think
0: I've seen that and I loved it. It's, it's such really good. A good film.
1: Um, so Drunken Master, he uh, damaged his uh superciliary bone, which is your eyebrow bone, which almost <gasps> caused blindness. Oh no. Um, in Armour of God this is the first one in Armor of God he got a skull fracture um dome you know his uh, the dome caved in behind his left ear left ear and brain was bleeding um after falling out from a tree um in Armor of God 2 Operation Condor the save the sequel he got a broken breastbone in Project A um he got cervical spine damage from falling from a 25 meter clock tower Ouch. yeah and then um in the accidental spy um he got tailbone damage uh which caused temporary partial paralysis um and I, we were just talking just before recording that i found out actually that in the um filming of his one of his most recent films vanguard which i think is either out or is coming out or what um he nearly drowned in the sea um after being trapped underneath a rock um so yeah that's pretty pretty insane jackie chan put put his put his body on the line and put his life on the line for for our entertainment basically and um yeah no it's ouch that's all i've got to say but you've got some about from buster keaton
0: well, I'll try to limit it to only a few because we could be here all night well like <laughs> i
1: could i could I only listed eight like that's the eight that I could find off the yeah. top I, though I know there are more
0: so the legend legend has it that when he was about a year old or two years old, you know it varies from 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 teller to teller um that Joseph Keaton and the sixth um because he was born in a vaudeville family there were Kind of nomads, and they were traveling from town to town, and he was kind of like born in in a in a um, in a trunk, so to speak, and there's been times where like the the stage manager would just drop the lid and he would might could have suffocated uh at one point he fell a flight of stairs, and apparently Harry Houdini himself. Said, "Oh my, that's quite a Buster," and that's how the Buster mm. nickname um, uh, uh, came came to to the to the parents, and that's how he was named instead of Joseph Keaton the Sixth. He was named Buster Keaton by Harry Houdini himself. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first of many injuries to come, and because Buster was in vaudeville and it was quite a rough act. He was thrown into the scenery. I don't know if, you've le- if you knew about this. The act of father and son, like, sort of dynamic on stage was that he was just thrown into the scenery during the act and people would just laugh. Yes. Uh, yeah, so he would just, like... If the father was on the stage doing something mundane, like shaving or whatever, the kid would just jump and just knock him over and cut, him, cut his face or something. For instance, interrupt him in in a very loud way. So the father would get really upset and just pick the kid by the back of his trousers and just throw him into the scenery or onto the stage or onto the crowds in the audience. And uh, apparently, he would he would have a um like luggage handle sewn onto the back of his trousers. So the father could pick him up and just throw him across. That's Um, insane. Yeah, and I've read um, quite a few accounts where the, like, you know, child services, social services would come in and just ask him how old he was because he was working from the age of five and so on or so. So I think the the childhood um, years in vaudeville helped him learn how to fall and how to stop himself from getting super injured, so in terms of like falling like stop it with the knee or stop it with like the back of the hand or stop it with you know something softer in um in order not to get super injured so when when the years in cinema came, he kind of knew how to fall um uh, which made it easier for him not like to sort of come unscathed. However, there's been many many accounts like I said he had ordered his um crane operator like the 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 camera operators never to stop filming until he said so. So on the set of Our Hospitality, I think you can if you know what to look for, you will notice that at one point when he's in the river, he looks quite frightened at the camera and he just suddenly just Disappears to the left of the screen quite rapidly. Uh, when he was in, filming the scenes in the river, where he's supposed to like be driven off stream, he was supposed to be tied um, so that he doesn't actually, you know, the stream doesn't take him off. Uh, but that the 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 tire like the tie snapped, so he was like taking by the current off screen. And you can kind of see it when you, if you watch it again, you kind of see him going like zooming, whooshing off screen because the, um, the, the, the rope that was supposed to sort of keep him quite steady snapped. So when, when he was caught, he was, he was basically trying to like catch on to reeds or whatever. Um, people, he could have like, you know, just drifted off and just drowned. Um, People just caught, caught up with him a few minutes later, and the first thing he said was, "I like, did not see it," and the second thing he said was, D- "Did you get? Did you get it? Did you get it on camera?" And it, it is, is it is in the film. Also, um, you've you've mentioned the big scene where he saves the girl, where he just like you know he's like holding onto the the big trunk of the of yeah three and he just makes that jump and he just the balancing act kind of thing and that took three takes to to do and um he swallowed so much water and he had to have like first aid because he was almost dead from the water he, he, he swallowed it took three takes but it like the third take he was almost dead Um, so that was just on the one film in three ages there's a scene where he's supposed to jump from one building to the next in in a manhattan skyscraper scene and he takes the um if you remember this like the manhattan 1920s buildings they had those like um what is skylights thing yeah and there's, there was like a lid type thing. So he takes the, like, the glass skylight and he puts it like, like a trampoline type thing to jump onto the next, one, the next building. He, he, in the film, he was supposed to make the jump. In the script, he was supposed to make the jump from one building to the next. But in reality, he didn't make the jump. So he fell. And it, it was left in the film
1: yeah I, I remember seeing i've seen that clip a and he times. made the he
0: made the fold into the film so he jumps from one building to the next he ca- he catches on to like the uh i don't know what he catches on to. and then he ends up being part of a a firefighter he just ends up in in a firefighter's station and he just like ends up on on the firefighter um uh truck Going off onto somewhere. Uh, it it looks seamless in the film. It does.
1: It does. Yeah, the power of the edit.
0: Yeah. Um. What else? Of course, in Sherlock Junior, he breaks his neck and he doesn't know about it until like ten years later, because he's hanging from like a water spout in the uh, water tower. From he's just hanging on, and the water jet comes off and it just knocks him off. Uh, onto the rails and he emerges continues the scene he has like a headache for for like 10 years and he goes to the doctor and he's like when did you break your neck I didn't break my neck yeah you broke your neck about 10 years ago look it's been healed but not quite and he's like well it might have been that time when I just knocked my head off onto the rail tracks because I was hanging from a water tower (laughs) So, yeah, during the um, seven chances, he breaks quite a few bones in his legs because he's being chased by um, big um, bulldozers down the, I mean, if you've seen, you might have not seen seven chances, but yeah, he, he, he got injured there because he was being chased down the hill by big rocks. And one of them caught up with him. Um, in the general he got knocked off because um, he was supposed to film some um, cannon exploding and it didn't explode the way that he, sh- he wanted to so he got injured um, but most of the times he was able to avoid massive injuries because he was prepared from the vaudeville days uh, how, to, how to sort of check himself. I I think I read one of the biographies saying that at one point during his teenage years he was knocked unconscious and he was left unconscious for a couple of days during the act of the father-son rough tumble thing. So yeah, that was his childhood, so he was prepared.
1: Yeah, that's pretty insane honestly that there that's just yeah what
0: (laughs) so yeah i think i think i'll leave it there for now yeah (laughs) let's let's (laughs) just
1: make make your mind up as to who had it worse
0: um (laughs) cool
1: okay so that that, that's kind of that's kind of us done for for part two of our three-parter um buster keaton 125th uh birthday spectacular um so the third and final part is uh we'll be coming next week um which we will be discussing uh the cameraman from nineteen twenty eight yeah. directed by buster keaton and edward sedgwick um i've allu- we' alluded to in the past that this is kind of we'll be talking probably quite a lot about his the m g m uh yeah. the m g m stuff yeah. that went on and then I think we've kind of paired this with a really decent uh, the, the film, um, interesting film called uh, Living in Oblivion from 1995, directed by Tom DeSilio, um, which stars Steve Buscemi, Catherine Keener, and uh, Dilmot uh, Mulroney. I think that's how you spell I his love name. I
0: Steve Buscemi.
1: Um, and Catherine Ke- Keener. Peter Dinklage is in it. Keith, uh, Kevin Corrigan's also in it. It's a very, very small cast. I love um, Peter
0: Dinklage.
1: Um, yeah, so this film, it, it does it. It's a very, very small cast. Um, and it's basically kind of about making a film, basically. A low-budget, independent film. Um, and it's, it's, yeah. It's one of those Ooh. kind of films that, that when, when you see it, you'll be like, how have I not seen this before? It's really good because um, I don't think it's talked about often enough. Plus, it's really short; it's only eighty-nine minutes, so um, uh, I cool. won't get a, I won't get an angry message from Danny saying two and a half hours, uh, which I got the mm-hmm. other week. Hey, <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, look, <laughs> look forward to that um, for our third and final uh, Buster Keaton. Looking forward uh, to
0: talking about the camera cameraman.
1: Yeah, so. Danny, where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is KinoJone.co.uk
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler and my website is SuperAutomioVision.com You can also find me on Letterboxd uh, Nicholas Stewart Chandler just search for me on there you should be able to find me um, I am trying to work on getting our podcast uh, Kino Tomic onto Letterboxd they started doing a thing for Podcasts and websites um, as a uh, kind of a different uh, format on that website. So um, I'll keep you guys kind of informed about that. In the meantime, you can, always, you know, like Danny said earlier, find us on Twitter at Keen Atomic. Send us an email keenatomic at gmail.com. As, as Danny said, all the adulation, if you really want to send us uh, a praise, go for <laughs> it. If you want to complain, also do that. Um, yep. And let us know um, your thoughts on on Jackie Chan and, and Buster Keaton, especially you know considering it's his Buster Keaton's birthday. Um, so it is a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me,
0: and a goodbye and thank you for listening from me.